Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 620 and we are in Ezra, Ezra chapter 2, as we begin this post-exilic period in Israel's history that's recorded for us in the history books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, probably volume 1 and volume 2 of the same uh, history written by the same author. That's a, a leading theory. However, uh, we don't know for sure. Uh, the author is not named for either one of these two books. Uh, I think the leading theory that I personally buy into is that Ezra wrote both of these, but we don't know. So I can't say on the authority of the Word of God these were written by because the author is unnamed. And ultimately, we know it's God's Word. The author is God. And so this is God's account of the return of the exiles and their reestablishment in the promised land. And the book of Ezra focuses on Ezra, the, the priest, the scribe, and his role. And then Nehemiah focuses on Nehemiah, who's appointed as a governor to oversee the rebuilding of the walls. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we dig into Ezra chapter 2 today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in all things. You are the God who never changes and never fails. You are our God, our Father, our Savior, our Lord. And we thank you. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for being for us. We thank you for never failing and never changing. You are trustworthy. And so your word is trustworthy. We ask that you would help us to trust your word, to understand your word, to understand its relevance to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezra chapter 2. Now, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive into Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sareah, Relea, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baana. The number of the men of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2,172. The sons of Shephatiah, 372. The sons of Era, 775. The sons of Pehath Moah, Moab, name, namely the sons of Jeshua, and Joab, 2,812. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 945. The sons of Zakai, 760. The sons of Bani, 642. The sons of Bibai, 623. The sons of Asgad, 1,222. The sons of Adonikam, 666. The sons of Bigvi, 2056. The sons of Aden, 454. The sons of Ater, namely of Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Bezai, 323. The sons of Jorah, 112. The sons of Hashem, 223. The sons of Gibar, 95. The sons of Bethlehem, 123. The men of Natopha, 56. The men of Anathoth, 128. 
the sons of Asmaveth, 42, the sons of Kiriak Arim, uh, Chephira and Beeroth, 743, the sons of Ramah and Geba, 621, the men of Michmas, 122, the men of Bethel and Ai, 223, the sons of Nebo, 52, the sons of Magish, 156, the sons of the other Elam, 1,254, the sons of Haram, 320, the sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 725, the sons of Jericho, 345, the sons of Senea, 3,630, the priests, the sons of Judea, of the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Immer, 1,052, the sons of Pasher, 1,247, the sons of Haram, 1,017, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Cadmiel, of the sons of Hodaviah, 74, the singers, the sons of Asaph, 128, the sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ater, the sons of Talman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobai, in all, 139. The temple servants, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hashufa, the sons of <coughs> Tabal, <coughs> Tabaoth, excuse me, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Shamlai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gidai, sorry, Gidel, the sons of Gehar, the sons of Ramea, the sons of Reason, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazim, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Pasiah, the sons of Besai, the sons of Asna, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nephishim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Harhur, the sons of Basleth, the sons of Mehida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tima, the sons of Neziah, and the sons of Hatifa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Hasophereth, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Jaela, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pokereth, Hazabaim, and the sons of Ami. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Tel Mela. Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Immer, though they could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deleah, the sons of Tobiah, and the sons of Nakoda, 652. Also, of the sons of the priests, the sons of Hab Habiah, the sons of Hakaz, and the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, 
and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult Urim and Thummim. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736, their mules were 245, their camels were 435, and their donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord, that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priests' garments. Now, the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns, and all the rest of Israel in their towns. That is Ezra chapter 2, and (coughs) you can uh, be assured that if I ever tell you of my top 10 or top 20 or top 50 favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, Ezra chapter 2 is probably not among them. Now, I probably shouldn't say that because it's all God's word, and this is God's word to us. But it's certainly not one of my favorites to read out loud. There's a lot of names and a lot of unfamiliar names. These are not, for the most part, famous people or well-known people. So why do we have all these names and all these numbers? Well, one thing that we ought to uh, take from this that is very important is, one, God is faithful. He said he would return a remnant of his people from exile and settle them in the land, and he has done exactly that. He has returned a remnant of his people from exile and settled them in the land. The second thing we need to notice is that this is a remnant of the people. The total company of all the people who are returning to Jerusalem and Judah is just over 42,000 people. And there are uh, some male and female servants as well. But even among those 42,360, there were a, a subset that couldn't prove their genealogy. So you're talking about 40,000 people. Remember during the kingdom of Judah, there were times when their army was 600,000 strong. And even when their army was diminished, their army was 200 or 300,000 strong. And now the whole assembly that comes back from exile is 42,360 people. Some of these towns, these are towns that are listed for the most part in those lists of names. Some of those towns have uh, 52 people coming back to them, 56 people, 95 people, 42 people that are going to settle in these towns and these villages. So this is a remnant. And that ought to tell us a couple of things. One is sin, faithlessness on the part of God's people has real costly consequences. We need to not sugarcoat that. Sometimes we act as if the gospel of grace and the forgiveness of God means that basically no matter how much we sin, no matter how often we sin, no matter how badly we sin, it's all okay because it's all covered by the grace of God. And that is a distortion of the truth of severe magnitude because 
sin has consequences and faithlessness on the part of God's people has real, serious, and severe consequences. So, for example, recently I was talking about the, the downward drift and slide of the mainline churches and how it was really a hundred years ago that J. Gresham Machen wrote Christianity and Liberalism and even by then, even by 1923, the mainline Northern Presbyterian Church, the UPC, the United Presbyterian Church, had largely abandoned real fidelity to scripture. And they had people preaching and teaching and serving as pastors and missionaries who didn't believe that the Bible was the word of God, who didn't believe in the virgin birth, who didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. Well, so coming out of that mainline denomination, there was a, a remnant of people who said, we can't be a part of this anymore. They formed the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And in the South, some you know, 50 years later, 1973, just exactly 50 years after uh, Christianity and liberalism was written, the Southern uh, remnant came out and formed the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. These were a few thousand people. In both cases, it was a few thousand people who came out of a large denomination of, of millions of people. And there was a cost in the fact that most people had been faithless. And since then, those, that mainline, uh, the northern and southern mainline churches have reunited and become the PCUSA. That happened in 1983. And that PCUSA is a shadow of its former self. It's, it's shrunken. And it's, it's very much faithless as a church. And the PCA has grown to be, you know, 10 times the size it was when it was founded in 1973 over the past 50 years. And, and there is a faithful remnant, but, but there's real cost and real consequences. And there is a, a huge fallout when there is widespread communal faithlessness. And so we need to see that. We need to take that seriously. Um, and it ought to make us eager to be aware of sin and repent of sin and avoid sin because sin has costly consequences. And yet, and yet, sin never ultimately frustrates or undermines the purposes of God for the good of his people and the glory of his name. So the other side of it would say sin is so disastrous and sin is so terrible that it totally is outside of God's control and it can wreck the kingdom of God. No, sin cannot wreck the kingdom of God. Sin is under God's sovereign control. He is, he is in control and he is keeping his promises and he is being good to his people despite our sin and he will accomplish his purposes even though there, there's still sin that has great cost. We need to hold those two things together, right? The Bible often calls us to hold truths together that we feel a tension between them and we want to go with one or the other. An example, divine sovereignty, human responsibility. We can see that in Ezra 2. Was it God's plan to send his people into exile and bring them back as a holy remnant? Yes, of course it was God's plan. God is sovereign over all things. You can even read the book of Deuteronomy, which was given through Moses hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the exile. And it tells about what would happen if there would be faithlessness and that there would be an exile and that there would be a restoration to the land. And that was foretold hundreds of years before there was a king and hundreds and hundreds of years before there was an exile. And so this was divine sovereignty. 
was it human responsibility? Was it the fault of the people? Absolutely, it was the fault of the people. It was their sin, it was their faithlessness that brought them into exile. The Bible asks us to hold those two things together. Human responsibility and divine sovereignty are both true. And here we see disastrous consequences of sin, and yet God's faithlessness, God's faithfulness, sorry, whew, bad. God's faithfulness in the face of sin and the fact that sin doesn't thwart God's promises and plans for his people is also true. So sin has consequences, and yet God's purposes are never frustrated even by the worst of our sin. And so we need to see that through this chapter. And what does that call for us? Well, there's a call for us as a church, and there's a call for us as individuals. The call for us as a church is to strive for faithfulness and to trust God's promises. And the call for us as individuals is to strive for faithfulness and to trust God's promises. You think I was going to say something different? Um, that's, that's the call for Christians. But I, I don't want to say it's just an individualistic call or that it's just a communal call for the church. It is both of those things because that's another thing that the Bible asks us to hold two things together. It is God's redemptive plan something communal for a community? Yes. Is it individual and personal? Yes. We are called individually and personally to salvation, but we are joined into God's church. And God is in the, in, in the process of saving a church, but he's also in the process of saving individual believers. One last thing I want us to see here is that when this holy remnant returned, though they were small in number, though they were few, and barely enough to populate the land, they still gave generously as they were able, and yet even there, their ability was much diminished from previous offerings. So there are 61,000 derricks of gold, and that may seem really impressive, and it, it is, but each derrick weighs 0.3 ounces of gold. So you need, you know, <clears throat> 10 derricks to equal three ounces of gold. And you could probably do math from there. This is not like in previous temple offerings where talents of gold were brought, like 5,000 talents of gold. This is a completely different order of magnitude of what's being brought. Still, still, they are being faithful to give as they are able. And that's one more thing that we can do is to say, no matter how much or little the Lord has blessed us with, we should still give as we are able. That's part of pursuing faithfulness and trusting God's promises that if we are faithful with little, we'll be entrusted with more. So this is the call of God. Even when things seem diminished, even when things seem down, even when things are but a shadow of what they used to be, and certainly you can look at America and say the church and Christian influence are only a shadow of what they used to be, that is no excuse for faithlessness. In fact, it's even more of a call to be faithful and to trust the promises and purposes of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this chapter in your word. Thank you for your sovereign work of redemption in the lives of each one of your people and in the life of your church together. We pray that we would be faithful to respond to your promises and your purposes and your faithfulness to those things with a faithfulness that you enable us to have by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that is Ezra chapter 2, and before we continue on in Ezra, we are going to 
jump over and pick up 3 John tomorrow. Hope you can join us for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.